0: Well, this morning, the, um, I was pleasantly surprised when I was reading over the lectionary text for this week, and it included Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and so this week, we're going to dive right in, right? But we have to say it, when we say it, we have to say it kind of like, Sodom and Gomorrah, because it's a really big deal, right? Um, no? No? We have to do that together, okay? This is a congregational call and response time. And um, so we all have to say it like that. You ready? Okay, here, let's say it together. One, two, three. Sodom and Gomorrah. Good job. We'll work on that throughout. We'll say that again a couple times. Um, We'll get you there. Um, So this is a text that is, uh, if you have been in church any amount of time at all, or if you haven't been in church, you probably know this too, this is one of those texts that has been historically used in Scripture to... Um, exclude, to hurt. It's, it's been used as sort of a weapon in, to, against people that were not um, like certain other people. And so we, when, we were, when we come to Scripture, we have to acknowledge some things about ourselves. One of those things we have to acknowledge is this idea of confirmation bias. And if you're not familiar with that, confirmation bias is basically what scientists tell us is the brain, is the function of the brain, which says we believe things that confirm what we already believe about the world. Right. So when we come to scripture, oftentimes when we come to scripture, we come to it and we read it, and we're not reading it open. You know what I mean? We're not reading and be like, God, may you transform me by the power of your word. No, we are reading it, and what we see is what we already believe. So what we're looking for oftentimes when we read Scripture is confirmation of what we already believe about God, about the world, or about what the church has told us. That's usually how we do life. And also when we read Scripture. Um, I mean, when was the last time you opened up some Scripture and you were reading it and we were like... You read something, you're like, oh my goodness, I have not been believing that out in my life. I must change everything about my life, right? Doesn't usually happen like that. But over time, it can, but usually not in the moment. And so we have to understand that about ourselves. And I think this is happening when we go back to Sodom and Gomorrah and we begin to read this. I think we are adding stuff to the text that's not really there. And by us adding certain stuff that's not really there, we're missing actually the bigger story that this is trying to teach us. And so when we read Sodom, is, is, were the biblical authors trying to t- teach us a lesson about how terrible non-straight sexuality is and how God? N- no, it's not. It's not about that at all, actually. And we're gonna, I'm going to try to show you that, and we'll see that together today. But also when we come to this text, like this is a hard text for many reasons. And we're going to leave today with some of our big questions unanswered because I can't quite answer them all. We read here that God seemingly, or at least the biblical authors, are putting it on God that God destroyed these cities because of their quote-unquote wickedness. Like We have to stand back and be like, what kind of God is this that would just destroy people? And so that's a big question, and I don't have the answer to it. I mean, we could talk about it, but it's much bigger than what I have time allowed here today. But if you want to stick around, you know, for the rest of the afternoon, we have a conversation, and I'll be here. And, um, but I doubt many of you are going to do that, right? Lunch plans, hashtag lunch plans. Sorry, Pastor, I already made plans. I, you know, I've got, got somewhere to be. <laughs> so we are introduced in this text this morning. It comes in Genesis 18, and we're introduced to this this Sodom and Gomorrah, these two cities in the ancient world, and we are introduced when Abraham is praying. And it says this. There's going to be a lot of scripture, but I won't read it all in one chunk. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. So uh, what... What I want you to see here, very beginning, when we are introduced to Sodom and Gomorrah, what do we see? We see this outcry. Well, who's crying out? That's the question that I want you to ask yourself. Who is crying out? Usually, we read in Scripture that those who are being oppressed, those who are afraid, those who are being pushed out, are the ones who cry out. And every time we hear the same story, that God always hears the cries of the oppressed. We know that. And so God here is hearing the cries of those who are being oppressed in this land of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God is not content with just hearing it. What are we we seeing here? This is the God who hears, and this is the God who comes down to see what's going on. So this is a very active God. This is a God who is not content with just sitting where God is. This is a God who wants to get involved. So God is going to come down. And the men turned away and went away. This is, this is some other people talking about Abraham. But Abraham stayed standing before the Lord. Now if you know Abraham, Abraham is the, like the hero of the story at this point. And, and the Bible is like it's telling us how really kind of a good dude he is. But then like he has his negatives too. He has some moments. Um, he tries to pimp off his wife to Pharaoh a couple times. And we're like, Abraham man, what are you doing? And so, like, when we, read, when we read Scripture, sometimes we read the people, the heroes of the story, and we're like, God wants to teach us something by them. Uh, I, I don't know about that. Um, the Bible is just telling us about their lives. They're just telling us that they had good moments, and they had some really low moments, too, just like every other human that has lived in the history of the world then abraham approached god and said will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked what if there are 50 righteous people in the city will you really sweep it all away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous and the wicked treating the righteous and the wicked alike far be it from you will you not judge all the earth to do right wow abraham that's some guts right he's like god who are you god you are not gonna do that the Lord said, if, if I find 50 righteous people in the, in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for your sake. So Abraham's like, cool. Um, now may I be so bold to say if we find 40, um, <laughs> will you? And then this goes on for a little bit. And so finally, they, they have this negotiation process. And Abraham finally is like, oh, may, may it not be bold of me to speak to the Lord? What if you only find 20? And what if you only find 10? And God finally answers, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. I will not destroy it. So here we go. We are set up in this sort of, this scene where we have been introduced to this city of Sodom and Gomorrah and we are hearing that it is bad. And God, and Abraham here is going to God and trying to negotiate a plea deal for Sodom and Gomorrah to not destroy it. Abraham is kind of setting himself up as a hero of the story. As we go through this, I want you to ask yourself this question. Where am I in this story? Who am I fitting with? And most of the time when we read this story, we're like, yeah, I'd be like Abraham. I'd go to God to stand up for people that, that, that if there were ten righteous God, well, I would be so bold. But if we're honest, that's usually not us, right? We're usually not Abraham in this story. Life is a little more complicated than that. So then we get to the story. The two angels arrived at Sodom and Gomorrah in the evening. Can you see it? If it was like a movie, here are these two angels, these two foreigners. And Lot was sitting in the gateway to the city. So Lot was Abraham's cousin. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he says, please, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night. Then go on your way early in the morning. So Lot here is opening up his home with hospitality to these sojourners, these foreigners, these ones who nobody knew. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. Why? Because they want to see what's going on. Lot probably is like, hey, um, y'all, y'all need to get out out of the street. It's almost dark and y'all need to get out in here. Come in the house, please come in the house. And they're like, no, 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 no. We want to see for ourselves what's going on because we need to report back to God. But Lot insisted so strongly that they did did finally go with him and entered his house. So here Lot is trying to do a good thing, right? He prepared a meal for them, baked bread without yeast, and they ate it. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. You know what this is? This is a mob. This is what this is. This is a mob. You can imagine that they may have had weapons. They had torches. They had heard that there were some foreigners that came to Lot's house, and they were mad. They wanted to check out what was going on. And then they said, they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so then we can have relations with them. Sex, relations, it's all the same word here. So here we read this scripture. And we hear all the men, and there's two men inside, and the men want to have sex with these other men, and then we're like, oh, Sodom is destroyed for homosexuality. Like, that's not the point, y'all. This is not, this is not a situation of like, I know this is crazy, and we just met, but call me maybe. This is not, this is not that, all right? This is a, situ- this is a flash mob, who was angry. They were were probably carrying torches. They were out for violence. This is a story not about two people who love each other or the validity of same-sex relations. This is going to be gang rape. Violent, predatory rape. That is not this. That is completely different From two people loving each other and being in a committed relationship. That is not this. And to make that this is to completely miss everything about this story. You know what God is against? Yes. I believe I can boldly stand up here and declare that God is against predatory gang rape. Yes. In all occasions, everywhere, yes. And so, bring them out so that we can have them. So Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind them and said, No, friends, don't do this wicked thing. So Lot here is, is kind of like he's a good guy. He's standing up for them. Look, but then, oh, man, he does one good thing, but then he's getting ready to do a terrible thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man, let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like. with. No, Lot, what are you doing? Isn't this like life, though? When we are in incredibly challenging situations where we, they are complex and they are difficult and we don't always know how to navigate it, so often in life, we simultaneously do one good thing and yet do another really bad thing. This is, this is so often how life works, isn't it? We, we do a good thing, but then we find ourselves doing a bad thing, and we're all together in that sort of, like, we make great decisions, and then we go and make a terrible decision. Do you know, this story, I think, is about, it's not about the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not about the validity of quote-unquote homosexuality. It's, I think this story is about Lot's daughters. I think they were the ones crying out that God heard. I think they have, may have been the only ones in this city who were not infected with the violence that had overcome everyone. This story, I think, is about Lot's daughters. God hears the cries of the oppressed, and I believe God heard Lot's daughters. Here they are, getting ready to be pushed out into a situation where they would be violently abused. Get out of the way, the men replied, the mob. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept pressing in on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else in the city, and get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place? They had seen for themselves what was going on. A whole people infected with the virus of violence. There's someone different than us. We will destroy them. We will hurt them because they're not like us. And if you stand in our way lot, we'll hurt you too. So they ran out. Go away. Ezekiel tells us that Ezekiel interprets this moment for us and tells us also that Sodom and Gomorrah, this story, is not about quote-unquote homosexuality. Ezekiel says... And in 1648, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, your sister Sodom and her daughters never did what you did and your daughters have done. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Whoa. Whoa. That's your interpretation of what was wrong with Sodom and Gomorrah. They were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned and did not help the poor and needy. Do you know why we don't tell that story in church? Because that has a lot to do with us, doesn't it? That hits a lot closer to home. It's easy to interpret a a story and say, God's angry because, oh, those people They don't have much power in society, and they're a little bit different from us. That's why. And if we let that go in our society, then God will destroy us too. It's a little bit hard to say, well, maybe God is angry when we get arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned and don't help the poor and needy. Because then at that point, as we point one finger at them, we got three pointing right back at us. You mean... God is not pleased when we're arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. Isn't it so easy? And I've been racking my life in this so often. And just like, I, I, was, I was at the, I was, we had the dinner party at my house on Friday. And there was, I mean, just incredible. You all are incredible. And we were hanging out and enjoying each other. And I, I just had this moment on my porch. And I'm looking at everybody and, and this great moment. I'm like, wow, I'm surrounded with such great, amazing people in my life. I get to be friends with you all. <laughs> in this beautiful place of my backyard with my beautiful garden and my fruit trees. And, and, then, and then like my family, I'm so blessed. I have this, this incredible, beautiful, wonderful family of like, I live this sort of charmed life. It would be so easy for me to just turn my head away from the suffering of those in our world for me to turn away and to be unconcerned because I've got so much goodness in my life that I could just focus on that goodness and not have to worry about the cries of children in cages, about the cries of those who have to live under bridges, about the cries of those transgender African-American women who were murdered, It would be so easy for me not to have to worry about it. But I'm constantly reminded that I serve a God who hears the cries of the oppressed and I need to hear those too. No matter how uncomfortable it makes me, no matter how it might wreck my life, no matter how it may may make me make decisions that, that push me out into a more public way. I can't just live my charmed life and be unconcerned with the cries of Lot's daughters. There's so much pain in this story, and there's so much pain everywhere in our world. I'm reminded that this, that of, of this quote by Richard War. It says, "When religion cannot find a meaning for human suffering, human beings far too often become cynical, bitter, negative and blaming." Healthy religion, almost without realizing it, shows us what to do with our pain, with the absurd, the tragic, the nonsensical, the unjust. If we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it If we cannot find a way to make our wounds into sacred wounds, we will give up on life and humanity. I am afraid that there are bitter blaming people everywhere, both inside and outside of the church. As they go through life, the hurts, disappointments, betrayals, abandonments, and the burden of their own sinfulness and brokenness all pile up, and they don't even know how to deal with all this negativity. This is what we need to be saved from. If there isn't some way for us to find deeper meaning to our suffering, to find that God is somehow in it, we will normally close up and close down. The natural movement of the small self is to protect itself so not to get hurt again. Science now shows us that we attach to negativity like Velcro. Isn't that the truth? Unless we intentionally develop another neural pathway like forgiveness or letting go, we will fall in to the swamp of negativity. You read this story, I read this story, and what just stands out to me in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah was how much pain was there. This whole society had been eat up With blaming and violence and negativity to where they couldn't even be open to two strangers who were coming. That the very fact that there were people different from them in their town made them get so violent that they formed themselves into a mob and wanted to hurt the other people. The angels say, Hey, Lot, get your family, you gotta get out of here. Get out, because this whole place is gonna go. Get out. And so they reached the land of another land in the mountains, and the sun had risen over the land, and the Lord rained down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. Then he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those who lived in the cities. I I, I can't explain that. That grieves my heart too. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Why is that important? I don't think that's important because it was Lot's wife. I don't think it was important that she became a pillar of salt. I imagine that there was a big pillar of salt somewhere, and they made that story about her being like, hey, here's the legend of, um, you know what happens. Um, and I imagine that's probably how that went down. But, I, but this is what I want you to get out of that. And this is something that I learned from um, Melissa Flora Bixler over at Mennonite um, Church over there in her book, Fire by Night, that... That so often we get, we live in a, in a society, in a culture that becomes so violent and so blaming and, and divisive that we begin to get our identity in that sort of space. And we don't know how to live in any other space. We don't know how to operate in any other space. We don't know how to do life that's not blaming. We don't know how to do life that's not negative. We don't know how to do life that doesn't blame those and them and them. And isn't violent against people. And sometimes when we get, God calls us out of that, we get afraid, don't we? Because we are not certain of that future because we know how to operate in this story. We don't know how to operate in that story And so it becomes very scary and we have a hard time letting go and we look back, but it's not about just looking back. It's about wanting to go back to that because that's what we're familiar with. That's what we're comfortable with. That's what works for us. Wow, this story has so much in it. I think it speaks to our culture today in so many different ways where we have, we, have, we have taken and blamed all of our problems on this one group of people that are different from us or that we're unfamiliar with or we don't understand how they could be like that. And we, we try to make a good decision, but yet we're so wrapped up in this society of despair that we we make a bad decision. We're like, no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna help those people while we hurt those people at the same time, and sometimes when we, God gets us out of it and starts to lead us away, we're like, no, I want to go back. I think as a society, Richard Rohr is right, that if we don't bandage our wounds, we're going to bleed on people that never hurt us, right? And that we as a culture, as us, as a people, are walking around bleeding on everyone. Because we've not transformed our pain. We've not dealt with the pain that we have in our life. We're just transmitting it everywhere. That's become the natural way of interaction for the American society. Transmit your pain onto others. Don't look in the mirror. Listen to people who agree with you. Push those out that don't. Only believe things that confirm what you already believe about the world. And reject everything that might challenge the way that you live. Transmitting the pain everywhere. And as I transmit that pain to you and you transmit that pain to them and they transmit that pain, there's just pain everywhere. And we're so in pain that we seek to comfort ourselves by being arrogant and overfed and unconcerned. We have so much pain in our life, we don't even think we have the space to help anybody else because I'm hurting inside so much. How could I help them? How could I be concerned with the poor and the needy? How could I do that when I feel like this inside? We need a transformation, church. Church. We need to allow God to transform our pain into sacred wounds. Not to ignore it. Not to say that it never existed. But to say, yes, that exists. I hurt. That hurt. I have pain. God, please don't let me transmit this unto others. Please heal this wound. Don't take the wound away. Let me remember. But let it be healed up. And sometimes as a society, we get so sick, we get a wound that is infested, that sometimes it has to be reopened in order to be sealed up properly. Because the way it was sealed up was not good at all. We sealed up a lot of bacteria in there with it. And so we need healing. Today, where are you in this story? Who are you? Are you like Abraham, maybe, who is willing to go to God to fight for the people's right to exist, their future? Or maybe you're like Lot's daughters this morning, who you have been caught up in a mess that you didn't have anything to do with. It is not your fault, but you are being scapegoated to the world, handed over as a sacrifice the violent desires of people in pain. Maybe today you are crying out to God. Know this, God always hears the cries of those like Lot's daughters. Maybe you are like Lot today. You're facing this world and not sure what to do. You're trying to be a good person, but you make one good decision, and then you make a bad one, and then you make a good one, and then you make a bad one, and you don't even know how to navigate in this space anymore. Or maybe you're like Lot's wife who just can't leave the security of the pain, of the hurt, of the violence. Or maybe you today are like the mob who are so overwhelmed with pain Who have been told that this is what you have to do. That this is the way for the future. That you are willing now. That you have been convinced now. That the only way forward is to hurt other people. Because they threaten your security. Today, where are you in this story? I'm reminded constantly that life is so hard. And I mean that. Life is so hard to navigate, to find our way through. We accumulate so much baggage. We get hurt over there and here and there and over there. That life is heavy. We deal with these stresses of our parents, our children, our our spouses, our jobs, our places of living, driving on Capitol Boulevard. Like, life is heavy. And stressful and hard, isn't it? It's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to say, I don't have all this figured out. I'm really hurting right now. I can't navigate this. I don't have the answer. I hurt inside. That is the first step to having our pain transformed is to acknowledge it. To say, I can't do this can't do this today whoever you are in this story your pain can be transformed but we have to step into being willing to allow god to transform us we have to stop blaming we have to stop in some way latching on to negativity like velcro we have to realize That negativity will only breed about more negativity. It won't save us. It will only destroy us. Blaming other people will not save us. Pushing other people out will not save us. Scapegoating other people will not save us. The only thing that will save us is embracing God's future of love, inclusion, and hope for all people. Today, let us not become like Sodom, who is overfed, unconcerned, and arrogant. Let us today reach out to those who need us the most. To the poor, the needy. Let us reach out. Church, y'all, like we read in Scripture that God hears the cries of the oppressed, so here's a big warning to you and us and all. Don't hurt those who are crying out to God because they may be crying out to God to save them from us. We don't want to be on that side. Let us always be on the side of Lot's daughters, of the oppressed, of those who are suffering from the weights of pain themselves. Let us be like Abraham who says, God, there's got to be some. I'm going to go see. And let us, most of all, be like the God who hears the cries and goes down to help. Church, let us be that church. That, hearing the cries and going down, will be the first steps of us transforming our pain into beauty. Today, where are you in this story? May we find hope and healing today in a realization that God is calling all of us everywhere into a life of full abundance and hope and joy where our pain can be transformed and made new. For we serve the God whose mercies are new every morning. So whatever we did in the past... Let us repent of that. Let us confess it and repent of it so that we can stop transmitting the pain and allow it to be transformed so that we can put a tourniquet on our wound and allow it to heal so we don't bleed on those who never even hurt us in the first place. Let's pray together. Lord God of heaven and earth, the God who hears the cries, who responds to those like Lot's daughters. Lord, redeem us, we pray. For we are hurting people. Our society is hurting our neighbors, our children, our parents, ourselves. We are all so deeply hurting, Lord. And we have seen in this story what happens when we allow our pain to go unchecked and transmitted, Lord, we devolve into a society that hurts one another, that excludes one another, and that suffers deeper and deeper and deeper pain. God, heal us, we pray. We come to you because we know that no one else can. And so we pray that you would heal us, make us new this day, so that we may be redeemed and we may hear the cries and we may respond with hope And include everyone at your table. For no one is excluded. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.